and welcome to this week's Devil the Detail podcast. I'm Rob Parkinson, and I'm here talking all things. So for a Devil's Journey show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside. Paul, how's your week been? Keeping Britain warm? Yeah, just keep keeping Britain wet, I think, with the hot water <laughs> and that. We're not doing too much of the eating these days. It's all more, more hot water, but yeah, busy week up to now. It's middle of the week now, we're recording this Wednesday, so everything's downhill here, but I'm working Saturday, so I'm not quite halfway there yet, or just about halfway there. I'm doing all right, though. I'm looking forward to the Cup semi-finals this weekend, I'm hoping to get home on time on Saturday to watch the league game, so uh, yeah, I'm doing all right, how's yourself, buddy? Yeah, good, good. Obviously, like you say, no game this week, so managing to do a bit of admin with the older podcast and stuff, things that you don't get around to doing during the week because it's game after game, podcast game, and it's all a bit of a rush sometimes, isn't it? You, you feel about that sometimes. Yeah, because I'm, I'm always doing my writing and that, and I'm still doing my book, but I only ever get bits. To, this book's been taking me years, and I'm getting <laughs> towards the end of it now, but because I have to do them previews and that, I always say I, I don't get a lot of time to write other stuff, really, because the previewing bits and bobs take me all week. So this week I've got no preview to do, so I'm hoping to, to well, it's Wednesday and I'm still not doing any of it, so <laughs> maybe tomorrow or Friday I might get a bit of writing done before I start working on the Catalan preview. So, yeah, you tend to like put all your spare time to stuff don't you and you don't really get like loads of spare time it just gets taken away before it's weekend again mm. so uh, so yeah it does it. it's a bit it's nice when there's no game to just have a bit of a rest yeah but we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it oh. I mean it's that's the thing oh. no love doing it it's just uh, it's just a bit of a balancing act finding the time I tend to yeah, do yeah. bits and bobs at work between jobs and stuff I know it's not dead professional but I tend to just do bits and pieces on my phone and write I write a lot of stuff as this, this sounds rubbish, this, but I write a lot of stuff in drafts on my emails, mm. draft it out as an email, save it as a draft, and then when I get home, I'll add a bit to it. But the trick is, when you try and save it as a draft, if you press the wrong button, it deletes it, because you've either got to save or delete. You're like, oh, so you've got to be really steady about how you're doing stuff. Because I've done that before, and I've copied and pasted stuff, gone to paste it and deleted it. <laughs> and I'm like a, I'm like an anti anti Cinderella. I mean, everything I do is after midnight rather than before, so mm, it's uh, yeah. late nights for me. But I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. We enjoy doing this; it's great. We get great content off our off our guests, don't we? And uh, talking yeah. about sulfur devils to to you and uh, Parky is is the highlight of my week. So long, mate. Continue. Yeah, yeah, should be another good show this one as well. We've got plenty going on, haven't we? Yeah, loads going on. We've got a look back at the league game. The ladies win uh, this week against Castleford. All the big news coming out of the club this week. Uh, and then we're going to talk Coasters, Bay Coasters. Paul, uh, a new you think uh, should be the Salford Legends on the 12 coasters that are available. Should it be 13? I think it's 12. It should be 13, really, shouldn't it? Mm. I, I, saw, I saw some of them on there. I think it was on Twitter. There was some Wigan ones, and I think Roy got some soft ones. Roy Ellaby, I think he got some soft ones. They look really good. They mm. really, really are sort of... Um, is the word I'm looking for? Like, sort of original, aren't they? look yeah. like they're advertising a beer brand, don't they? And that, So I thought they were uh, a really good idea. So, yeah, I've had a think about my players. I've not necessarily picked the sort of best players of Salford, but my favourite players, if you yeah. like. So I was going to do it like that. So I'll give you some names after. Yeah, the Coaster Store. That's the people who produced them. So yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. They're, they'll be listening in and, and taking the, our, our choices into consideration when they make the, the final Coaster selection. So we'll start with a lead defeat. You're listening to Devil in the Detail and this is your Big Match Review. So 
So, Salford and Devils were defeated at home to Lee Leopards. They went down 22 points to 24. Paul, narrow loss. Obviously, referee controversies again, but in discipline, cost Salford the win. Yeah, I think you can... There was a, there's certainly the Latelli try didn't look like a try. I was in the West Stand and everyone in the South Stand and all the players were going mad. So I said on my report, it looked a bit controversial from what they'd seen. But I had not seen a replay, but I have seen a replay of it now and it wasn't. It was short. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But I think on a whole as a game, we had the game sewn up at 22-10, 12 points in front. We, we should have won the game from there. And yeah, we conceded too many penalties. Too many penalties and... Just soft stuff, really. Can't afford to do that against Lee because they just keep coming at you, Lee. And, and that loose forward, they have that Asiata, who's a top player in. And they, they've got a lot of pace in the back line as well. And they're not afraid of promoting the ball and moving the ball around. So they took the chances when they had them. So the last try they scored looked a bit forward as well. But I thought it was good play. It was good backing up. So I don't think you can say that. So the contentious try was the Latelli one. But I, I, I don't know. And there was an, also an incident where... Lafayette and the Burgess one where I think the referee gave two knock-ons didn't he so presuming he had judged that Lafayette not to, and I've not seen the replay of that yet so you have to go with the referee's call on that but on the whole I thought we were probably the better side again but just not smart enough to, to win the game and it's disappointing because you've blown two games at home whereas if we'd won them both we'd be sitting in the top four top three or four in the table so that's to me it feels like we've missed an opportunity yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, like you say, is it Latai? Latella. Yeah, I thought Letelli, that was yeah. that was like an old try. But if you look at where the referee is positioned, he's positioned on the dead ball line. So his view isn't of the incident isn't the greatest. He's looking through players. And I know, obviously, isn't it better for him to come out the line and have a sort of a, a much sort of better view? Because you've got the end goal judge for behind the line you've got the linesman on the line so for him not to him to be stood next to the in goal judges is a waste of a pair of eyes for me yeah you touch judges right there on the play I mean could he have not seen it better I'm not sure there's people who are saying about having a video referee every game I get that as well that's disappointing but that we know that before the start of the season don't we so it's one of those I mean for the referee I mean it happened so fast I don't think you can really blame him I mean, he can only see what he's going in. If he's not got a video referee there, what, what's he to do? He has to make a decision. He can't spend five minutes, ten minutes. You've got to make that decision, haven't you? So he's made the wrong call. But it's it's one of those. There's not a lot you can do about it. It's gone now. And um, even so, we should have still won the game. That yeah. that probably didn't... Obviously, if you take six points off Lee, we win the game, don't we? But I don't think in the grand scheme of things that had such a massive effect because we got the game by the scruff of the neck, didn't we? And got a try before half-time, Andy Ackers. We got a try just after half-time from Helliwell. Had a 12-point lead. We was on top there. We was on, And again, Jack Orman gets involved with some something stupid at the play of the ball, starts lashing out, gets penalised, league down the other end, and they scored from that. So again, you've got to be smart. We've got to start playing. They're getting shutting games down, closing games down when you're leading. Same against Leeds, same against Lee. You've got to be a bit smarter and, and just close teams off and, and shut the door. Yeah, poor game. It's poor game management for me, really. The remember the last the Hardacre try where well, a bit of a sort of a cup sort of a mistake Sneed and Briley get themselves in a bit of a mix up. But if you if you rewind that forty five seconds, thirty seconds, we're sat on their line, really, from a kick, trying to pin them in. We get pinned for offside, which gives them a way out, and then they go and score off the back of that. And that's just dumb play for me. Really? Yeah, that try. I, I saw a replay of that. I don't know what I saw it on. I think, no, I'll tell you what it was on. It was on Northwest tonight. 
do it like uh, on Monday night because I said to Ellen, uh, Mrs. Ellen, I said, God, we're never on Northwest tonight, <laughs> and they were on now conceding a try against Lee, and it was a right comedy of errors. Sneed and who Brown. else was it? Briley. Why did you fall on the ball? They're both messing with it, kicking it, and fanning about with it, and then before you Lee, Lee are over, so that was really disappointing to concede that. It's like. Laurel and Hardy stuff, so that was a disappointing try. That, but like you said, the penalty count again was massive. I think it was ten. Was it ten three mm. in favour of Lee? It was a big one against us the week before. We're the home side, so you think we'd be getting the penalty? So why are we conceding these penalties? Don't want to call players out, but Danny Addy in that first half. I mean, they give two or three away there from stupid lazy arms in the tackle. You've got to do better than that. You can't afford to just chuck an arm out. It's it's just shooting yourself in the foot and. Lee took advantage of that all afternoon long, didn't they? And every time they, they built momentum and then put pressure on us. Yeah, just need to touch on the other incidents. The Zach Hardacre potential simbin where Lafay runs 80 metres and gets hauled down. If you listen, if you watch the video back, you hear a voice. I'm, I'm thinking it might be the match commissioner giving, taking the advantage away. Right? And then obviously Salford scored off the back of it a couple of plays later. Yeah, did, I yeah. think if Salford don't score... Hardacre gets put in the bin, but because they do score, then they can't get punished twice. And that's why I think Hardacre survives. Yeah, I, I thought that he, he pulled, was it Burgess he pulled back or Lafayette yeah. pulled back? It was definitely a player he pulled back there, but we did, we scored on the next play, didn't we? So, so yeah, that, that could have been another contentious one, but it, it's a bit sad, really. I mean, I've seen loads on, on the internet recently, on, on socials and all that about referees, and it it's becoming a bit of an obsession with some supporters, isn't it? And we don't want to be talking about that all the time. I thought it was another good game. Yeah, the, the Latelli one was a bit of a howler. But you've got to see that from the referee's point of view, that he didn't have a, the technology there. So you can't blame the referee for that. You blame the Super League, the Rugby League, or whatever, yeah. because they've not got that technology at all the, the grounds. I mean, we said it before. I mean, just, I was saying to my dad the other day, can you imagine Premier League being like that? Oh, we'll just have the two televised games on the replay. All the rest of the games. That VAR. Can you imagine that VAR? We'll just have it on the two games that are on Super Sunday. Uh, what? The, the, other, the other teams won't have that. It, it, won't, it wouldn't happen in any other sport, would it? But rugby leagues is of this sort of written law that we'll just we'll just do do it by half. So we'll just have a couple of teams on. And, but you can't do that because it's it's got to be a level playing field, hasn't it? Surely. So, uh, obviously, it's not at the moment. Yeah, and the Burgess one where Lafay gets involved in the tackle and the ball yeah. pings out. It is for me. It's a double knock on. I think uh, Lafay forces the error, but the ball is sort of knocked on into Lafay, and then obviously bounces off Lafay. It's just the rules in it. The way it's a double knock on and uh, scrum down. So I only saw it live in the game, and I I didn't see him knock it on, but I've not seen it back. I only saw it at full speed. So. If that's the case, he's unlucky there, Lafay, mm. because it was it was a good bit of play from Solvin and then Burgess ran away. So, so yeah, I think we were a bit unlucky in that game. I don't think we're a million miles. Off. I thought for long periods we we probably were the better team. And again, we've lost on a penalty goal, conceding the penalties at King Boniyai. You are there. You've got to be cleverer than that. You can't afford to do that. Ben Reynolds was a good kicker and he took advantage and, and won the game for, for Lee. It's a shame, really, because we didn't really have an opportunity in that last 10 minutes to to, to get anywhere near their line. Do we know Sneedy had that drop goal attempt before that? Unlike him, really, it was nowhere near, was it? So, yeah, I come away from the game disappointed again. Really disappointed in, in, in losing because I, I don't think Lee are a great team. I think they, mm. they're a good team. They, they, they work hard on that, but I don't think they're championship material. But yet the second in the table, 
and when we should have won. I think we should have won the game comfortably, especially when we got 20 points to 12 up, mm. or 22, 10 or whatever it was. Uh, we were two scores in front, one with 12 points in front there. The, you've got to go for the throat there and, and kill the team off. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the effort's there from, from the players. Yeah. It's just last couple of weeks, it's obviously just unlucky. Really, a bit of indiscipline, a bit of fatigue, because obviously we've got a small squad. So kind of catching up on us now, obviously five defeats on the spin. We're in a bit of a hole, sort of physically and mentally. Paul Rowley will come on to that in a minute. He talks about the mental strength for the players. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough it's a tough place at the moment, playing for Salford. Yeah, I know I know everyone was saying one the other week about the Wakefield game when we had key players missing. You had lots of uh, Bright, I think Briley was missing, Ackers was missing, Croft was missing. And we'll get them back and we'll be fine. We've got them back and we've lost two games against Leeds and Lee. So we have got decent players out there. I know the the, the forwards we're, we're missing. Gerard Stone was back. Uh, sorry, um, Shane Wright's out. Partington was out. So they're missing. But you could say that every week. Teams have always got players missing, haven't they? You're not going to get a team now, this stage of the season, that's got the full strength sort of 21 man, man out every week because it, it takes, takes toll so it's about how you manage that so I think we've got to be looking at ourselves and, and the players and saying we've, we've got to do better than what we're doing particularly in these last two home games and the Wakefield game we shouldn't have been losing there by that many points it was poor so we need to get off that bad run we're on and, and put some wins together because if we don't there's a danger we're not going to finish in that top six and we're going to wind up finishing right near the bottom of the table because the, the teams around us are starting to win now so there's no excuses. We're in that league. We've got to perform and play well. So we need to get a result. Yeah. I'll just quickly run through the, the timeline. Salford up the scoring through Ken Seal. A long pass went to ground. Ken Seal picked the ball up. Went over in the corner. Does what Ken Seal does. Good, lovely finish from him. Yeah, it's a good try. Crossy got a good pass out there, wasn't it, to Seal? And it was a good finish from Seal. And I think he scored 10 tries, 11 tries this season now. So it's another good return for Ken. But uh, yeah, it was a good start. A good start to the game for us. Yeah. Lee hit back with a try from Ed Chamberlain. Looked a little bit forward, but it's borderline, I think. Well, they both did. Both the tries that Asiata created, the, the, the last try for Lamb as well, looked a shade forward. But I called it a line ball, really, to be honest with you. I mean, you're not going to see them pull back. It was poor defence, really. It was a, it was well worked for him from Lee. And that, that as I said, that John Asiata, the loose forward, I thought all the talk was about Lachlan Lamb, but to me, he was the architect behind everything. Everything that Lee did came off him. He's a quality, quality player. And Lee have got that in abundance with him and Lamb. They've got some good pivots there. You've got Gareth O'Brien at fullback as well. And they're not a boring team to watch. They move the ball well and they created a lot of chances. Yeah, so we've talked about Lee's next try, which is controversial. And then Max Need kicked a penalty goal to take it to 10 each. Um, and then Salford just on half-time. Uh, Andy Acker scored. Lovely work from him. Scooting over from dummy half. We could have scored a couple of plays later, unfortunately. Interception by Gaz O'Brien. We recycled the ball and went over to score. Yeah, it was good play from Akers, that. Really good play from dummy half. He was really sharp there. and He had no right to score there, to be honest with you. He, he, he went really well, took it around a few players and went over and did what Andy Akers does best. So, um, it was a good try. It was a perfect time to score, wasn't it? I think it was only a couple of minutes to go to half time there, and then we hit back, obviously after after half time as well. So a bit of a purple patch for us, and that's what we're saying. We should have we should have kicked on there. If you remember the the game on the opening day of the season when we played Lee away, we had a patch in the game there of about ten or fifteen minutes where we scored two or three tries. It took the game away from Lee, and I thought that was going to be the the story of this game where we do that again, but obviously we didn't. 
Mm. Salford scored after that with a, a try from Ben Halliwell. Little kick through. Halliwell beat the uh, beat the defence to the ball. And uh, it... yeah, yeah, it's good try from Halliwell. I thought he put a good shift in as well. Halliwell, he, he plays above his weight, makes a lot of ground when he's going forward. He's he's quick as well. He gets you a quick play of the ball, and that's what you need. And I, I know teams will try and slow us down. We all try and slow each other down, don't we? And but when we when we do get that that, that sort of quick play of the ball and get moving, players like Ben are good around the ruck to get you going. So obviously Lee behind we were we were winning twenty two ten with about fifteen minutes to go and obviously Lee found a way back in, tries from Lamp and Hardacre and then a penalty goal late on and uh, Lee stole the points first time they won it against Salford in something since something like nineteen eighty three. September eighty three, I think it was about thirty eight four or something like that. They absolutely smashed us, didn't they? The Willows. Hmm. So so yeah, that I, I knew that stat from a couple of years ago. I remember reading that and I saw Mike Laven's notebook. So interesting read. They had some good players in that side in eighty three. My dad was telling me about that that match. He could remember the match and they had some good players around that time. They just won the championship eighty one, eighty two. So they're having their best season since that championship win of over forty years ago. And it's good to see where they are. I mean I'm no sort of Lee supporter but They've got that cup semi-final coming up this weekend, and uh, I think they won at Wembley a few years ago in the eighteen ninety-five cup, didn't they? But mm. they've not played it in the cup final since seventy-one. So I think it'd be great for Lee to get to Wembley and the, for the whole town. It's a rugby league town. I work there quite a lot with my job, and um, it's all rugby league in that area. So, um, so I, I hope they, they do the business against St Helens and get to Wembley. So Paul Rowley spoke to me after the game, Paul. And this is what he had to say. <laughs> Coach's corner. Joined by Paul Rowley. Defeat today. Talk us through it. Yeah, lack of discipline, lack of mental toughness at certain times, which probably reflects where we're at at the minute. So we know what we need to address, and if we don't address it, then it becomes you can become a valiant loser. It becomes an habit. So we're, we're an honest group. We keep working hard and, and, and harder. So I know that I see the effort that the boys put in week in week out. And, uh, and so yeah that, that's the task isn't it so yeah, you either embrace the task or you, you, you get frightened of it so we'll, we'll, we'll see which way we turn must be frustrating obviously sort of 12 points up at one point in that game but lead to sort of catch us up again as a coach how does that, how do you make you feel that <laughs> yeah disappointing Sims as it does the, the, the sports as well frustrated disappointed because you're the master of your own destiny there we should have shut that game out 100% so but again if you have poor discipline you allow them in territory Lee are a team that are in tremendous form they're a team that don't go away and they're a team that come alive when they're attacking your line so dis- poor discipline whether that would be in the form of a straight cut penalty or just taking a shortcut not working hard enough at market whatever that may look like it's still poor discipline so yeah that's the mental toughness that winning sides need yeah we're on a run of sort of defeats at the moment how do you how do you change that as a coach is it like you say is it sticking together or is it bringing new things in or what no always sticking together and you don't you don't stick the task is, is the same the the mindset is the same but just like i said before it's it's <laughs> improve your discipline and in tough moments make the right decisions and their choices as players as, as, as staff we all have choices we, oh, the players make a lot of choices out there on the pitch and so make the right choices and sometimes they're uncomfortable ones but do it yeah a week off this week mm. no game opportunity to rest a few bodies maybe oh yeah absolutely we'll, we'll have a break this week yeah it's, it's not so we won't be getting them in tomorrow and, and flogging them with 10 lashings and 35 yeah. laps around the field the, the boys need a rest they've been the <laughs> some tired bodies yeah do you, do you take the opportunity to like look at the season so far and, and sort of plan for the next few sort of weeks about sort of targets things like that no nah, just plan for next game take it as a week as a week at a time and 
because yeah you start concentrating on too many things then there's, there's one job we've got at the minute and that's Catalan away brilliant cheers Paul unlucky today and thanks for talking to us so that was Paul Rowley talking to me after the game Paul and he talked about mental toughness um, and how the players aren't uh, are suffering from not having enough of it yeah um, it's a tough one that I mean I think it stems down to like game smartness as well doesn't it toughness being a tougher game out and being mentally smart and mentally prepared to, to do things. I mean, you go back to that Leeds game last week, I think they were mentally tough, weren't they? You know, you look at the way they played the game, a lot of people were saying, oh, they do this, they do that, but they, they were mentally prepared to, to do whatever they needed to do to get the two points, and sometimes that's how you've got to be. Perhaps we're a bit too nice sometimes, I don't know. We seem to concede too many penalties. And looking at the, the stats the last couple of weeks, our, our discipline's been poor. We got tanned in the penalty count against Leeds and against Lee. So and against Wakefield, the last three games we've been on the massive end of a big penalty count. So that's something that needs to be addressed because if you concede in penalties, you concede in possession and you concede in territory. So that's not going to help you. But like Paul really said to you there, I don't think you ever questions the effort of the players. You can't do that. They, they, they put a real shift in, but for one reason or another, there's there was something he said in that interview and he's, he's what did he say now there's questions you have to ask and that is about answering them questions yeah. sort of thing and I can't remember the exact wording that he used but it was more or less saying sometimes you have to do things that you don't want to do in, in matches something like yeah. along that lines and it, I think he meant sort of the tough stuff the, the nasty sort of stuff didn't he and You've got to tough it out, haven't you? Like so, I think he knows what he wants. He he knows what he wants the players to do, and I don't think we're in a we're in a massive rut. I think it's like anything. We just need to get a result, don't we, and and break this 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 run. Yeah, talked about the lack of discipline as well, and he didn't want to have a become a valiant loser mentality, uh, which is, I think was important uh, because obviously, if you continue to get beat, it might it goes affect you, doesn't it? But the players seem to be able to keep going to the well over the last few weeks because, like you say, the effort's still there, still trying to play. It's not like they've, they've sort of like in the sort of a negative mindset where they're not willing to play. Um, it's just unlucky, ill discipline at times, and just look. Yeah, but there's two sides of the coin on that. You can say that, and which is I, I totally agree. But if it comes to the end of the season, you keep losing matches and you finish sort of third bottom, fourth bottom or whatever. Mm. And then you say, well, the players were trying and they give loads of effort, but you've not got the results. So, yeah, you've still got to get the results, haven't you? So you can try all you want, but there's sometimes you've got to change things and do things differently. And we've not learned. We always say about learning, don't we? But to me, we've not learned our lessons, I don't think, because we've just been in two tough games there against Leeds and Lee and got the same result. Lost by a penalty goal in both games. So you've got to start doing things differently. Otherwise, you're just going to get the same again, aren't you? We've got two fixtures coming up now. Catalan's going to be tough going there. That's going to be an hard game. That's going to be red hot. We're going to have to... But that could be a win that could catapult us. Look at last season. We went to Catalan. It was boiling hot. They were playing really well. We beat them by 40 points. So perhaps it could be the catalyst. That, That one win could then kick on for the rest of the season. Jack Armourine said that to me. He said, we'll win a game and then the wins will start coming. I'll believe it when I see it. It's not that easy sometimes, is it? But you've got to have that attitude. And I think I think the players have got the right attitude. It's just about putting it into practice. Yeah. Look at the stats. Top tacklers, Max need 25. Jack Armourine, Roy, 32. Andy Akers, 34. King V, 25. Stam Stone, 41. Chris Atkin, 40. Adam Sidlow, 24. And Ben Halliwell, 34. Yeah, I thought Chris Atkin was tremendous 
against a big pack as well, filling in at loose forward. He's not the biggest man in the world. There's a, it's not really his position. But um, I thought Chris Atkin put a massive shift in. I think he did well over an hour before he went off and then he came back on as well. So Sam Stone as well. It was good to have Sam back in the team. But he's a no-nonsense player. He does an awful lot of work. 41 tackles is a is a pretty good shift for, for him. He's been out injured and, and come back there and we've missed him in the team. Can you imagine if we had him and Shane Wright in the back row? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're missing Shane Wright massively. And Alex Gerrard was out again, wasn't he? So I presume that's something to do with his knee. He's struggling with his knees at the moment. But no, I thought Sam and Chris Atkin put big shifts in there. Yeah, top meter makers. Tim Laffey, 150. Andy Ackers, 117. King V, 108. Brodycroft, 80. Adam Sidlow, 60. Can't believe Ken Seal's not in there. I thought Ken Seal would be the first name that came off your, mm. off your tongue there, Rob. But Tim Laffey, yeah, again... I thought Tim Lafayette played well. He, he played really well against Leeds, didn't he? You know, very elusive player, and, and he'll create chances. And Joe Burgess has probably not scored as many tries recently as we'd have expected him to. Really playing with a winger like Tim Lafayette, but uh, I'm sure he'll get his chance. But we need to get that back. We need to get them them firing. We need to get Ken Seal and Joe Burgess firing because we've got two top wingers there. We just need to get them the service and create some chances for them. Yeah. Average gains, Tim Laffey 15, Jack Armandroyd 7, Andy Ackers 9, King V9 and Adam Sidlow 8. I always think if you get around about 10, you're doing well. 15 for Tim Laffey is some, some gain there, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned it last week. I think I called him wiry. I won't say that to his face. But <laughs> he's not a big man, is he? He's not like a Conrad Hurrell sort of centre. He's probably nowhere near as heavy as him. But he's still difficult to stop, isn't he? He's so hard to tackle. He, he just he's like a bouncy ball. He just bounces off people, and then he's away from him. He's beat somebody else. He's got round them. So I can I can imagine that fifteen meters there gains is is, is excellent. Yeah, big thanks for your three-word match reports of Man of the Matches. Colin Wilson, in discipline, our downfall. King, uh, Richard Andrew, ill-discipline again. Uh, ben Failer, uh, Jamie Ball, not a try. Andy Ackers, Anita, too many penalties. Ben Wheeler, too many penalties. Ackers, Mike Singleton, cheated by the ref. Uh, Ken Yond, absolutely shocking referee, but we've obviously talked about that being human. They will make errors. John McCarthy, penalty penalty try. Andy Ackers, uh, CS, stop blaming the ref. And it's Andy Ackers. I suppose it's right. We, we've got to look at ourselves in this situation, Paul. Like you say, last two games, we've lost narrow by conceding penalties later. Yeah, you can play referee all you want, can't you? I mean, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to change the result. I, I can never think of a match where a referee has changed his decision because players have had a go at him, sports have had a go at him. Once he's made that decision, it's it's good night at the end of the decision we've made, hasn't it? So, you got to take it on the chin and... and and move on from that. We've said it before, yeah, the Latelli try was a bit of a dicky one, but you, you still had a 12-point lead in the game, so you've let, you've eroded that lead. You've not you've not kicked on and won the game, so you, you can find excuses about a referee. I think every team can blame the referee for something, unless you say St. Helens with Chris Kendall, but other than that, I think at the other side, they can find faults, can't they? So you just got to look at bigger picture, I think, sometimes. And, and yeah, there are there are faults there, but sometimes you've got to take you've got to take that that sort of refereeing doubt out of the game and, and win the game yourself, haven't you? Mm. And, yeah, you obviously. Know, I think, go on. 
No, I was just going to say you can you can blame referees and that, but if you you win the game convincingly, the Latelli try doesn't matter because you've won the game. You've got a twelve point lead. You built on that, so it doesn't make any odds about his try. But I get people's frustrations because it does seem to be a recurring thing, doesn't it? Every week there's there's something where you think, blimey, they should have spotted that. Really, I mean, is there any point in having these video referees? What's the point in having them? We might as well not have them at all now and just just scrap it and just go back to how it, how it used to be. So it's bold. I don't know. There's too much money involved, isn't it, to have human error. I think we need to go the other way. I think we need yeah. more. But like we talked about last week, Paul, with how does that get funded to have a video referee every game and have a big screen at every game and multiple referees and multiple cameramen and inline judges. It all costs money, doesn't it? So it's how the RFL managed to fund that uh, is the big question for me. Yeah, but I think if you go back like 30, 30 odd years, 30 years ago, when we started watching this sport, I mean, you had two touch judges and a referee. You didn't have in goal judges then. You didn't have video referees then. And did we spend all our time like going on about the referee saying, oh, it's terrible. But I suppose we didn't have as many camera angles then and replays and stuff like that. I mean, that Latelli try, nobody would have known because you'd have been like, well, I'm sure he didn't get it down you in the pub, but there's no replays to check it out anyway. Mm. So I suppose there is that. I mean, you've got a lot more technology now, whereas you go back to the 70s, there's probably low, you could probably rewrite the, if you had a big screen, you could probably rewrite the history books because there's probably loads of tries that were never tries in the first place, but because mm. you didn't have anything there to check them, it was just, it happened and it was in the paper and that's it. Jobs are good. And, but um, I, I don't know what the answer is, Rob, I really don't. But I get a lot of people have said this season that the referees are worse than ever. I mean, I don't know. I don't always follow. I'm too busy watching the match sometimes. I don't follow everything that they come up with or every sort of set restart they come up with. But it must be there must be something in it, the way people are going on about it. Mm, obviously, must hurt getting beat as well, and I just think sometimes it's just easier to point at the uh, the referee than your own uh, sort of uh, problems. But everyone has their own opinions, don't we? That's what rugby league is. Uh, let's move on to the ladies. They were in action uh, against Castleford in the uh, first game of the day on Sunday and beat them twenty-two points to ten. Good result for Chris Bates' ladies inside the stadium uh, in front of a decent crowd. Yeah, I mean, how good was it for them to play inside the stadium, Rob? I mean, it's a nice facility outside on that little pitch. Uh, it's a good standard there. It's a, it's a, it's a good uh, facility. But to, to get them playing inside the stadium was a curtain raiser. I think it was pretty special. There's a big crowd there again as well. We've topped, we've got almost 7,000 again. So I think in three home games there, we've got, I think somebody said it was over 20,000 in three home games, which is mm. a tremendous effort, I think. And the ladies have added to that. They've added to the atmosphere. It's a good game as well. And you'll be able to tell us about some of them tries. I mean, you were telling me and Parker and the WhatsApp group about about some of the scores that they scored. It was a, it was a good performance and some good uh, good entertainment, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Sage Bannister opened the scoring for Salford. Uh, the fullback got the ball off Demi Jones, stepped inside one defender, went round another one, and and raced over from forty meters. Wonderful steps, great feet to get over the over the line to make it four nil uh, to Salford. Then scored another one this time from 70 metres burst the, the Castleford uh, defence wide oh, a couple of weeks ago she did exactly the same against Featherston um, so the confidence must be, be must be so high after scoring such a three amazing tries in such a quick time yeah yeah and getting a reputation for it now as well we're expecting the, these scores now aren't we how important do you think that win was against against Castleford because there have been a few defeats Sometimes it just you just need to get that result. I mean, I spoke to Louise Fellingham. I think was it against? I think it was the Leeds game. 
I spoke to her and, and I think you did an interview, didn't you, as well, or whatever. And, and she was frustrated about where things were going. They were putting an awful lot of effort in and not, a bit like the, the men's team, putting an awful lot of effort in and not getting the rewards. So it's frustrating. But once you do get that win, your confidence goes through the roof. Yeah. I think what it is, it's because you're playing at a higher level. It's about staying in an intensity at mm-hmm. the league level. And, and I thought against Castleford, the, the ladies were tremendous. I thought the forwards were just sort of rolling on really big runs, big powerful tackles, dominant throughout. Uh, and that's and that's what you want. If your forwards are going forward, it allows your backs, the likes of Louis Fellingham and, and Demi Jones, to, to feed the likes of Steph Gray and Alex Simpson and, and make things happen for the likes of Sage Bannister. And we, we've got some strikeout wide. We've talked about that lots, uh, but it's all in the forwards. If your forwards are making, making metres and being aggressive in defence, they opposition turn the ball over in decent field position and then you can do damage then. To say I think it's the same in in both the men's and the women's rugby league and, and amateur rugby league, you name it, whatever standard you want to talk about, whether it's pub rugby league or super league or state of origin, if you if you've not got a pack, you ain't gonna win the game. Mm. You can have all the, the flair in the backs in the world, but you need that pack to lay you that platform to, to allow you to play. I've heard people say it in the in the terraces why don't we move the ball? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? You can only do that once you've earned the right to. You've got to win the right by a dominant pack. And then when you've not got the ball, that your pack has got to defend as well. You, your team's got to defend. You've got to muscle up. You've got to stop the side breaking you down. So, yeah, every every decent side or every champion side or every international side that's ever won things has been built on a, on a pack with a very solid pack with cornerstones in it. Yeah. Casper didn't lie down though. Uh, second row, I think it was Courtney Evans uh, burst the Salford line. S- uh, Steph Gray did a wonderful tracking back tackle to stop her. Um, another break from the other second row, I think it was Amy Fordman came up um, and Sage Bannister tackled her. But unfortunately, off the next couple, I think it was the next tackle, they went over. Smith, a little grub kick through, dived on the ball, and it was uh, backs being close then. Which is, I suppose, in rugby league and especially Super League level, all get you never get you do get the odd blowout scoreline, but mostly it's always nip and tuck. Yeah, yeah, it usually is, isn't it? And uh, that that game was. It's been a big step up for the ladies, as we said before, haven't we? In the standard, but I think they've stayed in games. They've not been like blown away this season, really. They've stayed in games. They've worked hard. Yeah, they've come up short a few times, but the effort and the desire has been there for all to see. And, and that, that came off and it must have been a great feeling in that change room at the end of the game to finally get two points and, and propel them up the table as well because it's a, it's a tight league they're in at the moment. That, that group that they're in is a very, very tight one and there's some, some big games coming up towards the end of the season. Yeah, next off a try was from Yasmin Parton, Sotomayor, Paul. Basically, Sofa were on there, sort of 25. She got the ball and she basically ran through six Castleford defenders and just plunked the ball over the line. Too big, too strong, too powerful for that Castleford defence. And we went into uh, half-time, 14-4 up. Just what you need as well, isn't it? Try right on half-time. It sort of puts that, those seeds of, of doubt in the Castleford players' minds as well. And it's a 14-4. You've got a 10-point advantage, two-score lead. But it's, that's a big blow for Castleford to take into the break. Yeah. And then the second half, we carried on with the momentum. Steph Gray went over in the corner. Lovely work. I think it was from Louise Fellingham. And she went over in the corner to make it 18-4. And then it was like the Alamo. Then we had big chances. Louise Fellingham nearly went over in the car. Sage Bannister nearly scored again. Forwards were rolling forward. Megan Cundaliff, Abby Collins, Hannah Wicks, all 
sort of making big meters and causing chaos in that castle of defence. Don't know you remember all this stuff, Rob. You must have watched that game a couple of times. You just read it off. I've watched. I've watched it. Remember it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it sounded a fantastic second half. That, you know, it really did. The, the effort they were putting in there, the meters they were making, and completely dominant as well. And it, it's good when a game plan comes off, isn't it? When all your hard work comes off. And there'll be weeks, like like we've said about the, the men's team, the last couple of weeks, it's been a, gr- a great effort. But how frustrating is it when you don't get the result? But it was good to see you get the result and, and back up in the second half, the, the good work that they've done in the first half. Yeah. I, I all fear McKenna was, was, was very impressive as well. She came on from the bench in the second half and, and tore straight into Castle. It was great to see. So Salford then scored. Alex Simpson went over in the corner with about six Castleford defenders on top of her uh, to make it 22-4. Cass scored with about 10 minutes to go. Uh, and from then it was just a bit sort of 50-50 both sides, trying to get uh, a bit of possession, a bit of territory. But we'd done all the hard work and we got the win, uh, which was the important thing after the last two defeats. Certainly is, yeah, just to get that win and that bit of momentum and lift the spirits as well, as I said before, you put a lot of effort in and coming up uh, coming up short, you've moved up the, the leagues in a, in a higher higher level now, so getting used to that standard. I think this season's been, been a, it's becoming a real learning curve, isn't it, for the ladies, but I think they're doing really well. They're holding their own in that league, they're not being blown away, they're not being left at the bottom. There's some big scores sometimes in ladies' rugby league. I mean, I've seen some of them Super League scores, a lot of nillings and a lot of hammerings, but I think we're staying in matches this season and, and doing really well. Yeah, I think like like we always say, it's a bit of a, it's a learning curve in it. And I think the players that have come through sort of last season playing in the championship, they're playing at another level, aren't they now? And the likes of Megan Cundaleff, I thought that was their best game I've seen this season outstanding performance from her um, and it's it's a kind of a, a stepping stone now with I think we're th- third in the league I think the game we're looking at I think Lee and I think Featherstone are the top two so we'll have to keep winning to stay in touch with them yeah that's it that's it but I think players are learning all the time aren't they and learning on the job as well I think Parky made a good point last week that we only formed last season mm. so but it does take a while to, for players to get used to the levels and we formed last season and got promoted so it, sometimes it can take you just a bit more time to get used to playing at that intensity at that level a lot of these ladies have been together for a number of years so they, they know how each other plays so you're learning all the time it's not as if you played like a load of pre-season games you've got to learn on the job in the, in the league games haven't you as you as you go forward so I think they're making great progress but great strides and you know, it's going to take a long time to be an established sort of team in the top group some of the top teams like the Saints and Leeds and that but you're on the, the right path aren't we and we, we're doing good things Yeah this is what ladies head coach Chris Bates had to say about the victory against Castleford. Coach's corner. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're exactly right in what you say, really, Rob. Two competition points on the board. First and foremost, that had to be the, the objective. And I'm really pleased to, to be in a, in a position to talk to you, having done that. You know, cast down the bottom of the league, but they've brought bodies in and they've strengthened and um, and I think they turned it into a contest for a little more than we were we would have liked to. I felt like we were in control of that game. If I'm honest, I think we controlled field position well. And I think when when we did lose that field position, that was our own undoing. So that's always kind of a nice position to be in because ultimately, if you fix up those things, then then they don't end up with any field position. Albeit on Sunday, but at times we didn't. Um, I think overall, we we probably didn't play as smartly as we would like to. Um, completion rate was low, um, and we continue to work hard on that in training, really with. 
kind of skills under fatigue and, and all of that stuff really to try and make sure that we keep all the ball when we really need to and I thought we made some poor selections in, in attack when we got up into good ball perhaps playing blind when it wasn't on perhaps not reading the cues that they were they were certainly giving us but we, we've said all season that this is a, a game of standards whether that's the quality of a, a runner hitting out the back and, and picking that right line whether it's the, the quality of the, of the kind of lead that that player comes out the back of whether it's the quality of the pass where we're pushed on those standards all the time and we're working really hard to adjust to those so so some of that plays into into that kind of us not perhaps being as clinical as we would have liked to have been the the biggest positive out of all of it i think from for us as coaches was the the stability of that side and how stable it felt so we've come through a period of a of, of really a couple of months now where we've had injuries all over the place we've had you know, you think back to the Featherston game where we finished with no subs and two players getting stitched up, and you and you think about um, Sam Evans turning a hamstring and and all of the all the kind of stuff that's gone around that squad with injuries and and the number of players we've lost. It was really nice to welcome some of those back and have a bit of a selection headache for one, um, but but be able to pick a really kind of aggressive and mobile pack that I think will serve as well through the, the rest of the season. So, yeah, really nice to be in a position where players are pushing each other for spots and, and that competition certainly helps you in terms of your performances. So I think I think we're, overall in this season, I think we're a little behind where we would have liked to have been. Um, I think injuries have played a big part in that, but we're leaving that behind now and the message to the girls is clear. Um, we knuckle down now and we look to build some momentum as we head into the playoffs and a win on Sunday sets us on the road to do that. So, overall, OK. So that was Chris Bates talking to us after the ladies' win last week against Castleford. So that's the look back at the matches this week and now we'll see what's happening in the world of Soft Red Devils. So we'll start, Paul, with the news that the Sutherlands game is a celebration of our 150th year. Big party planned, live music, lots of activities, ex-players coming down, Big crowds in the last couple of weeks at home, hoping for another one. Yeah, it's another Sunday game as well, isn't it? So it should be a great atmosphere for that. Ex players coming down and loads of things going on. And St. Helens in town as well. They, they should bring a decent following, shouldn't they? It's not too far for them. And yeah, let's hope we can get another 7,000 plus crowd. It'd be great to get an 8,000 for that game. I mean, we've really got to publicise this now and getting some some legends down who, who played for the club in the past. You're going to get to see them, I would have thought. They parade them around the pitch, which they should do, which I hope they do. And I think it just, it just adds to the, the atmosphere, won't it? And that'll stoke the crowd up before the game. Get an ex, an ex player or an ex champion bringing the, the, ball, the match ball out. How, how good would that be? So, yeah, we'll have to watch it, watch this space, see what happens. But if anything's to go by, the atmosphere, the Leeds game, the league game last couple of weeks, I think they've been tremendous. I mean, we had the, the hospice takeover at the weekend and there was loads of people sat in front of me in the West End who worked for the hospice and who'd, who'd just come, for, it was their first time at the game and, and what have you. And they were really enjoying it, the people. It was packed out in that West End where I was. So it, it's been a great atmosphere. I've seen a lot of faces this season of people who I don't really know, who, who I don't think have been before, but... Everybody seems to be enjoying themselves, and all right, we've lost the last two years, but they've been great atmospheres. Mm. I think the name of the game really is to get them people back, yeah, and, and trying to entice them in. I think it comes responsibility of the club to promote them the offers, responsibility for us fans to talk to friends and family who might not go every week to say come down and enjoy the day. It's not just about rugby matches; everything involved around it too, uh, and hopefully we can keep attracting these crowds and, and going six, seven, eight thousand, which is what we want. We want to be able to entice a big crowd in, which will help put some money in the purse and then eventually fire some new players. Yeah, and, and what it's also doing as well is you know we market in ourselves as a community club. And if you're working with the community, I mean, 
the hospice area we had at the game at uh, the weekend, for example, I mean, I don't want to be like, what's the word I'm looking for? don't want to be too downbeat. I know hospices aren't the nicest places in the world, are they? I mean, they, they probably are nice places, but I mean, people are in there very poorly, aren't they? So I don't want to be too downbeat about it. But I think working with those sort of places, they, they play a massive part in our community, don't they? You know, looking after people who are poorly and elderly people and whatever, what have you. So if we can, we're building that bridges with them and, and getting the, those people to come to the matches, the people that work there and what have you. And then we can work with other people in the community as well, the hospitals, the schools, you name it. They're all going to be on our side, aren't they? And I'm pretty sure that coming to Salford's an escape for a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, for some of us, it's not. It's a bit of a penance, isn't it? But we enjoy it. And, and I, I've enjoyed seeing people there having a good time and that. And they will come back. I think they will. They've been they've been good events. And I think that's what the club are trying to do. They're trying to make it an event and make each game like a theme, aren't they? So we had the Armed Forces Day, which was a tremendous day, wasn't it? Everybody enjoyed that. And you just think about the atmosphere of that. It was... The whole day was was a great day, wasn't it? Everyone had a smile on their face, and it was, it was, it was really, really good. So I think the St. Helens game will be the same, and we've got some more home games coming up this season as well. I think we've got Warrington to play as well down at Salford, so that's another local derby. Should be another one. You're looking for seven thousand, so let, let's see if we can get seven or eight thousand for these home games. Yep. Talk about home games. The Wakefield game at home uh, is now a Friday night uh, on the 25th of August. I suppose it that time of the year it could be a Big moment for Wakefield, see if he can survive or not. So I suppose we're probably maybe on telly. I presume that's for for the television, yeah. It's probably tough for Wakefield, really, isn't it, coming on a Friday night? It's a bit, well, we played them at their place on a Friday night. It would <laughs> make more sense to, to go somewhere like that on a Sunday. I mean, same for their supporters coming down the M62. It's, it's a difficult journey on, um, on on a Friday night. So, But it is what it is, I suppose, isn't it? You've got to do what, what you're told, haven't you? I don't think you have much of a choice, do you now with Sky? They seem to hold all the cards, don't they? So, so yeah, it's disappointing it's not on a Sunday, but there's a bit of notice there for us to, to sort it out. Yeah. Lance Todd Trophy Dinner uh, tickets are still available in August. Always a good night there. Challenge Cup, all the old players um, and a really exciting night if you want to get down. Yeah, and, and we don't really know who's going to be in that final yet, do we? It could be, we could be an ex-Solver player winning it again. You know, there's a few still playing in the Cup, I suppose, at, at the various teams. So, so yeah, it should be a good night. It is a, I've been to, I think I've been to two. And the ones I were went to the, the Marriott in Worse. I know it's a new venue this time, but the venue will be good, and they always have a good comedian on. And it's just great seeing past winners there and, and and people who are like royalty of the sport, really. So you get to rub shoulders with them, and it's always a really really enjoyable night. Yeah, other bits of news: Stuart Wilkinson was kind of running a low tackle clinic. I'm going to call it a clinic with these new rule, new rules coming in where you've got to tackle a middle of the armpit. I suppose he's trying to coach coaches and coach players on how to, to deal with the changes. When's this rule actually going to come in? Are we going to see something coming? Yeah, I think, it, think they're trying it this year. They're going to see how it goes. And then probably yeah, next year, year after maybe, depending on if they do I decide so. to, to bring it in. But by all accounts, all the trial games that have had, they've had, they've been like penalty athons. There've been about sixty yeah. penalties in it in a game, which is which is crazy. But which I understand the tackling. It's just about instinct, and it players just throw themselves at players, don't they? they don't even think about yeah, you know they where they are. Yeah. So I do understand why people would get penalised hitting shoulder high. Well, that's why you're gonna have, you've got to have these tackling is like the clinics, as you say, because he's going to take a long time to get the mindset out of tackling off instinct like you said there because 
it is when someone's running at you or, or there's, there's a breaking play or someone sidesteps you, your mm-hmm. instinct is to, to do something with your body to stop stop their body moving. So you don't always think about where you're putting your hands, do you? You just automatically put your hand out. It's like any sort of sportsman where it's sort of boxing, football. A lot of it's on instinct, isn't it? What you throw or what you do to counteract what your opposition's doing. So to, to sort of combat that, I think you're looking at, you look at rugby league, most of the players that play in Salford's team now or in Super League at the clubs, when did they start playing rugby league? Probably when they were five or six years of age, playing junior rugby league, then amateur rugby league. So they've since being that sort of five foot high or whatever, they've always played the game that way. So most players are now sort of in the 20s. They've been playing the game 20 years, 15, 20 years. How long is it going to take you to change the way you play? It's not just going to happen overnight, is it? You have to go to a few of these clinics to, to sort it out, but... Like you said, I think there's going to be a lot of penalties if, it's going to, if they're going to do that because it'd just be ridiculous. Obviously, with all our indiscipline, we might need to send a few to a, a clinic to sort their, de- their tackling techniques out. Yeah, we're not naming any names. We named a few before, <laughs> but we won't name, we won't, we don't name and shame them on the show. They know who they are. <laughs> Other bits of news, Paul. Um, the South Red Devils, under-11s, under-12, Lions development programme teams played there the first competitive fixtures at Folly Lane. Over 100 young players pulled on the sofa shirt and represented the city. Uh, so well done to them. Also, uh, under-16s Rising Stars played Lee Leopards and beat them 32 points to 26. So congratulations uh, to them on the win. The future is bright. The future is red. That's always what I say on the podcast. So- also, if you're looking for your Sulphur Devils fix this week, as we don't have a match, get yourselves down to Rochdale Hornets. Our Learning Disabilities Rugby League team are playing Bradford Bulls at half-time in the Rochdale Hornets game. So uh, get yourselves down there, support them. Um, hopefully, we'll have a good time and uh, play well. Nathan Connell and George Chanuk uh, were selected to play for Ireland students in the Four Nations last week. They finished runners-up in the competition. So congratulations to both there. Great experience to bring forward in the Chris. Yeah, certainly. It's certainly a great experience and a great achievement as well to play to play international rugby league and, and whatever is no mean feat, is it? So especially that early on in their careers, it'll do them a world of good getting that experience. And, and yeah, yeah, well done. Yeah, final bit of news. Uh, one of our ladies, Darcy Price, has been selected to play for Jamaica in September. Jamaica are due to play Canada and USA South in Jamaica. She set up a GoFundMe page to help try and get her there. I think she's a tremendous player. One of the stars of last season with a with a really powerful runs. And obviously now Jamaican international. Wow. Getting selected to play international rugby league, I think, is the pinnacle of anybody's career, isn't it? So, and especially to be able to go and play in Jamaica as well. I mean, how, how exciting is that going to be? Mm. So, so yeah, wish her all the best there with that. And I'm sure she'll be fine. I'm sure she'll get plenty of people helping her out. And then she'll be on the, the big white bird going over to, to Jamaica to play. I mean, how exciting does that sound? I mean, international rugby league, as I said before, is the pinnacle of anyone's career. So, so she's done tremendously well there. And, and good luck. We'll be yeah. keeping our eyes peeled to see how she goes. Yeah, we'll stick the, uh, the GoFundMe page on our uh, socials. So jump on it, give us some juice, and uh, let's get Darcy to Jamaica. So that's all the news, and now we're going to talk beer coasters, Paul. The coaster store have obviously 
produced coasters for other rugby teams. I think it was Wigan, their legends, and on Twitter it came up that they may possibly think about doing one for Salford. So on Twitter, I put out an idea of Salford players that should be put on a coaster. Very exciting times. If you get put on a coaster, does that mean you've made it in life? Yeah, I've got some coasters. Well, Dad's got some, I think. I've got some for you, actually. I've not given them yet. I've had a Legends no. one. That's some other. I'll bring them. I'll bring them to the next match. <laughs> There's some on that. But my dad's got some from the the grand final team. I think it's Lee Mossops on them and Nia Levels and one or two of the other players. And they're really, they're really, really good sort of things to keep, aren't they? Really. But yeah, I think if you get yourself on a coast, you're uh, you're a club legend, then aren't you? You're part of the uh, fabric of the club. So I think it's a really good idea. I saw, I saw some Wigan ones on on Twitter. And I know Roy Ellaby had ordered some as well. I think he's got himself some Salford ones. Roy likes likes his Salford memorabilia and nostalgia that he does. So, so yeah, they look really smart. They look really authentic and good. Yeah. So the coaster store are the, are the people who make it. I just, like I said before, I, I decided that we'd pick two players from each decade, uh, going from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s and 2020s, who should appear on these coasters. So, do you want to start with yours first? We're not doing 60s, just 70s. Oh, yeah, well, 60s, we'll do 60s first. 1960s, oh, uh, who do you think should be on the coaster? 1960s and backwards. So, 60s and then 70s. Well, um, well, we'll go 60s and before, and then we'll go 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, 2000s. Two players from the 60s and before. Oh, you probably got to go Gus Risman, hmm. I think. Gus Risman's got to go on one. If it's just players, well, you're probably a Lance Todd as well as a yeah. manager, wouldn't you? Barney Hudson as well from the thirties. I think he was a bit of a bit of a legend in that thirties team. So you've got sixties players and all, haven't you? you know, people like Jackie Brennan and Chris Eskers, you could have, couldn't you, sixties? He was playing in sixties, wasn't it? Cup final. There's there's loads and you you wouldn't do him justice really, would you? But seventies no. team, I think you've got a Colin Dixon, I think, for my my sort of family, my dad as well, he's a big fan of Colin and He's a player I've heard a lot about over the years. And Mike Coombe, I think I'd have to go. It's a tough one, that, because it's Paul Charlton, Fielding, Richards, all players that I've I've heard about. And I've I've met a few of them as well. I've been able to, to meet him and say hello to him. Uh, but I think I'd have to go Mike Coombe because Mike sort of touched my family, really. And, and my dad got to meet him and that and became really good friends with him. So, And with Mike passing away this year, I think that that mean a lot. I mean, Mike on one because he was a... Blooming, blooming good bloke, Mike. So yeah, that's my seventies, eighties. I'd, I'd have to say Tex Evans. Yeah, for the eighties because it, without Tex, I don't think I'd be watching rugby league now. He's the man that I first saw in a Salford shirt and thought I like, I like this. Eighties, eighties, eighties. I'd probably go either Gibbo or Adrian Adley. I probably, I probably go for Gibbo because Gibbo's another guy that is like wow. He was just a, an hero to watch. He's hat on and his curly hair and he's just didn't even look like a rugby league player, but was an absolute hero for Salford. So I'd go with him. For my 90s, I've got to go Steve Blakely because yeah. he's probably one of my favourite players of all time. I was going to say Watto as well because I used to like when Watto first came into the team. I know not a lot of people probably knew much about him because he was in the, the academy and that, but I really liked him when he had that partnership with Blakely midway through the 90s. But... I'm probably going to go a bit left field. I'm going to go John Cartwright because oh. I like John. I liked. I know he didn't play. He only played sort of a season, but he's a big favourite of mine. There's this probably there's, there's Peter Edwards, people like that. I could mention Darren Rogers, Fatasini, Nathan McAvoy, Scott Naylor. There's loads, isn't there? Sam mm. Panapa. But 
I like John, so I'm going to go with him. Okay, so 2000s? I'm going to say the skull, Jason Nichols. Nichol. No, yes. I'm not having him. No, no, no. I'm, not having him. I'm going to go, yeah, because he was, wasn't that good, was he? <laughs> <laughs> he looked good. No, he, did, he was all right. He didn't play long enough for me. 2000s, I'd probably say Malcolm Alka yeah. in the 2000s, because I, I think Malcolm gave an awful lot to Salford, blood, sweat and tears for the club. And Stuart Littler. I think just for his longevity and mm-hmm. the amount of games that he played and the fact that he always got the better of whoever he played against. Smashing fella as well. So that's my 2000s, lads. And 2010s? Blimey. I can't remember anything from 2010s. It always seems like one season. So basically, we're talking about our time at the sort of leaving the Willows and going to the new mm-hmm. ground now, aren't we? So you got like Paliacina, you've got Godwin. Pally. Could you just pick think... two good ones there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me think. While you're thinking, I'll just run through mine. Well, uh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go David Watkins or Chris Kessler in the 70s. Jimmy Lomas before then. So I think he's, he was like a, a, a sort of superstar. If it wasn't for yeah. Gus Rismond and Lance Todd, he'd be, he'd be sort of more known for me. I'm not a massive 80s child, but I've gone Adrian Hadley and Ian Belize. Uh, 90s, I've agreed with you, with Steve Blakely. Andy Gregory as as a coach rather than as a player. I'd have to have a picture yeah. of him with his arms folded in a suit on that bay mat. 2000s, I've gone for Paul Light and, and Mal Alka. 2010s, yeah. I've gone Jackson Hastings and uh, Ian Watson as coach. Well, obviously, a lot of people upset about the way Ian Watson left us, but in his time at the club, he got us to a grand final got us through a Challenge Cup final. He got us through the Million Pound Miracle. Uh, and if you're going to have likes of Lance Todd in there for getting us to a, to a Wembley final, I think you've got to have him in there as well. Uh, and then in the 2020s, I've got Brodie Croft and I've got Louise Fellingham. Bit of a sort of a right field one there, but first ladies captain, first ladies captain to win a trophy for us. First ladies captain to get us promoted and the first ladies captain to captain us in Super League. If she isn't on the beer mat, are we doing this even right? Yeah, no, I'll I'll go with that one. I'll second you on that one with Louise Felling because she's a nice lady as well. And I think she's a good captain, good leader and a good person. So well, I'll go with that one for the 20s. For me, 2010s, I'm going to go Niall Evels and Chris Wellham. Okay. Um, I, like, I think Niall is just a terrific player for Salford. He played a lot of games, played a lot of years. And, and Chris Weller, I remember when we signed Chris, a lot of people said, oh, he's been, why have we signed him? He's from the, the such a league and that. And uh, I remember me and Oskison put a couple of comments on, on Facebook, not knowing anything. And, and Chris's wife, Paris, actually sort of said, oh, thanks. And then she became sort of friends with us on Facebook. I still talk to her now. That's just for saying I thought he was a good player. So, yeah, he's a player that I took to my heart, Chris. I, I really liked him. I thought he was a whole-hearted player and a, and a nice lad as well. So I, I'll have them too. For me, 20... 20s, we've only had three years, haven't we, really? But let's have a think now who's made an impact in the last couple of years. Uh, well, I think you've got to think, you can't look past Brody Craft, any Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah, you probably go, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with you there. I'd go Brody Croft and I'd also go Chris Atkin. Okay. Because I think Chris has been mm. been tremendous. I think not only as a player, but as a person. And his, when you speak to him, we have the privilege of speaking to him, don't we, after the matches? And he's a lovely bloke. And I think he's a really, got a really good attitude as well. So I go with him. Yeah. But I think Louise Fellingham as well is, is, is definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Parker, who isn't here tonight, said 60s is Brennan. 
He said 70s, take your pick, anybody. 80s was Evans, Gibbo, Blees and Burgess. Andy Burgess. 90s was Blakely and Young. David Young. Young. Yeah. 2000s was Stuart Littler and Malalka. 2010s was Rucho, Budder or Wilshire. Rucho and Budder I can get behind, but Wilshire, not, I'm not 100% behind that one because I didn't really rate him. He kicked that goal, though, didn't he, against Celtic yeah. Crusaders? <laughs> I just, he was a player that I always wanted a bit more of. But He's a very talented player, John Wilshire. Yeah. Very talented player, but did we see the best? Was he in a great side, though, at Salford? I don't know. We, we, we were a bit hit and miss at that time when we got relegated and we was in the lower league and that. I mean, Rook Joe's a good one. Sean Ruckerson was a good player. Yeah. Uh, Kevin McGuinness. I never really rated Kevin McGuinness. I'm not going to be awful to him because he's probably a great bloke, but I always thought he's a bit of a miss, really. I didn't think he was a dead consistent player. It's like, I think there's been players like that over the years where I think Michael Hancock was another one where people said, oh, this great player who played for Australia. Yeah. I never really got him. I always thought he was overrated and didn't put his tripe out, really. But And then we had players like David Hume that come to us at the end of their career that I thought was a great player for us. Mm. So sometimes the bigger names... And always, always all that, are they? No, Luke Patton for me, the same as that. Everyone was talking oh. about him being the greatest Australian fullback we've ever seen, and I was a bit like, what? So, yeah, I remember when we signed him. My dad watches a lot of NRL, he's a massive fan of the NRL, and he was watching it was a game on Saturday morning, and Canterbury Bankstown were on Canterbury Bulldogs, whatever they're called now. And he, he, it was his last game, Patton, and he did like this general salute to the players, and it looked really cool. My dad went, We've signed him. The next season, like, wow, he's a star. And then he came over and I thought his second season, he was better than his first season. I thought he had a better season. I actually met him at the, the league game. I had my pictures took with him. We played at Lee against Wakefield, didn't we? When our game at the AJ Bell got moved, we played our last game of the season at, at Wakefield and spoke to him at the end of the game. He seemed a nice fellow, but I, I, I agree with you. I think I expected more from him. I mm. think I expected him to be a bit like Gary Jack when yeah. Gary Jack came and for one thing or another I mean it didn't really work out did it no the maddest thing was his first game I think in front of the shed he caught the ball on the full sort of shimmied and went sailing through a gap and a fall whoa with Simon here never did it again for 18 months I was a bit like yeah, yeah. but it was what it was well yeah. another player you can think of from that time I was a big fan of was Ray Cashmere yeah. I mean he was a really good player wasn't he and probably thinking back now we could have done with hanging on to him for another season. Mm. I think he played his last... I'm sure his last game was against Catalan at the Willow. Did he go to the new stadium? I don't think he did, did he? No. He finished at the Willows, didn't he, in that game? So I would I would have moved Devin and Earth to keep hold of him because I think he'd have been a, a top player to keep hold. He had a few injuries, didn't he, in the second season. But I like Ray Cashmere. Good character as well. Yeah. The 20s, Parky went Jackson Hastings and Lee Mossop. Obviously, Lee Mossop yeah. scoring that try against Wigan. Fearless leader, uh, well worth a possible coaster. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, it's really difficult. It's like when people say, can you name your, your all-time 13? You could name loads, couldn't you? And mm. like I, I I found it hard. That I could name it um, sort of 12 tomorrow and they'd be different. And then you'd name 12 at the weekend and they'd be different again because there's, there's so many players who you 
players will come and go, won't they? But there'll be some players who leave a mark on you and, and other players who, who you get disappointed with, other players that you love. It's just, I suppose it's all about the time and how things happen at the time, isn't it? But there's there's players that have come over the years, particularly, I mean, Tex Evans, you look at Tex, I mean, I said before, he's one of the reasons why I started watching rugby. He's more for his character. wasn't mm-hmm. a great player, really. I mean, he's got some good tries and that, but he dropped a lot of balls, didn't he? I mean, how many times he dropped the kickoff in, <laughs> in big games as well? So you're like... You didn't really like him because he was a great Britain international. You liked him because he was a trier and he put his all in for the club and he was a character. And I think Salford supporters will will like that. We we won't sort of say, oh, sign him because he's Australia's number nine. No, sign him because he's a good bloke and he'll work hard for you. And I think mm. we appreciate that. Peter Edwards, he was a good player. He came in, was it, in New player. Zealand seven, yeah. nine. Fullback. He could mm, come as a fullback it. and he ended up playing number nine. And I think yeah, yeah. if you spoke to Malcolm Alka, he'd probably tell you that he learned a lot from, from Peter Edwards. I think I've read before that, that Malcolm, we took him under his wing and really taught, showed him a lot of tricks and that because he was a tough, tough player, Peter Edwards. Good. I mean, you think back to that 96 season against Keefler, he sort of dragged us through that along with some other players and we got the better of them and got promoted. Yeah. Fatsini, Scott Naylor, Mace yeah, McAvoy. Yeah. All good, yeah, good players. Yeah, yeah. You could name all that night. You see Darren Rogers mm. and people like that. Craig Randall, another player. Yeah, that um, he's on my Facebook and seems a lovely fella as well. And I think he listens to a podcast, Craig. So over in Australia, so there's loads of players, loads of players from from throughout the decades. I mean, why why not make hundred beer mats with them all? Because <laughs> there's loads of characters. I mean, we've not spoke about the book, have we? At the hundred fifty year year book, what Graham mm. Morris has done. And, I think if you was to, to purchase that, you can just have a look back and flick through it and you'll see the amount of players that we've had over the years and people you think, oh, blimey, I remember him. Or you don't always remember people that you forget people and there'll be players that have only come and played sort of half a dozen games. I mean, look at Jim Mills. I mean, he played for Salford. Only played about six or seven matches for us, but there's been that many players who, who played for us over the years you, you, you forget. Mm. Uh, big thanks for our listeners who gave us uh, their list. Paul Howe, 80s, Steve Gibson and Gary Jack, 90s, Paul Farber and Spatacini, 2000s, one we haven't mentioned is Alan Hunt, the rugby genius, uh, we've not yeah. mentioned him, I don't know, Stuart Littler, Jackson Aces, 2010s, Gaz O'Brien, 2010s and 2020s, Brody Croft and Tim Laffey. Well, look, there's a name there you just mentioned that we've not mentioned, Gareth O'Brien. Mm. I mean, it just shows you there how much this club has done since 2016 because how have we not mentioned him? Yeah. Because he dropped that goal but it just shows you how much has gone on since then Mm. that we've had other stuff to talk about so I think that just sums the club up that way we've been last few years so it's Gareth O'Brien good player good player for Solf a good old hearted player I mean he had a good game for Lee on on Sunday I thought Uh, tough tough kid always seems to get smashed around the head and get us back up Alan Hunt I think Scored two tries in that grand final against Lee in 2003, didn't he? And he was a big part of us getting promoted that season. And I think Alan deserves an awful lot of credit for what he's done over the years at Salford regarding the academy. I think he did a tremendous job in sort of around 2010, 11, 12, 13. He was, he was caretaker coach for a while as well, wasn't he? And he brought some terrific players through. Sneedy, Theo Farge, people like John Turner, uh, Stephen Ratchford. They, they all come through that system there that, that, that Alan Hunt was in charge of, wasn't he? So, um, very wise man. Nice fella as well, Alan Hunt. 
Yeah, I know as a player, he went through a journey at Salford as well. Didn't start too well. Fans got on his back. And I think it was against Wakefield, went 100 metres. And from that point on, it was brilliant. Went to Widnes, scored a try there to win the game. Went 80 metres against Warrington. Unfortunately, went, we went down, but still he was one of our star players. And then in the first division, scored a load of tries with the likes of Cliff Beverley. And scored a couple of tries, I think, in the grand final to send us up as well. And then just, I think he retired after that. So what a, what a journey he was he had in a so for sure. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, if you follow Alan Hunt's career, particularly when he was at St. Helens as well, and Great Britain International, playing the World Cup finally, he's played in some massive games, hasn't he? Um, a bit to tell you all about that. I had, I had the fortune of spending three hours with him in a Costa Coffee a few years ago. I was writing an article about Alan Hunt for his 4020 magazine. I don't know whether they printed it actually, but it was a great interview to do with him. But we got thrown out of the Costa and they haven't been in there that long. But <laughs> he told me some real stories and I recorded it on my phone, but I don't think I could send it here because it was that long the interview because he just didn't stop talking. But you've met him loads of times, haven't you? And he, he's, he's such a down to earth man, Alan Hunt. He'll just come up to you and start talking and he remembers you and he spoke to us a few weeks ago in the tunnel didn't he at Salford and he was waiting for some interviews and uh, such, a, such a nice guy so yeah he's yeah I think he deserves a coaster yeah Andy Lancashire he said Di Watkins and Gus Risman from the 60s backwards Maurice Richards Keith Fielding he said it was very difficult to choose like everyone else has said Ian Blees in the 80s and Paul Shaw in the 80s Mark Lee in the 90s Di oh, Young yeah. or Andy Gregory in brackets 2000s was Chris Charles and Paul Hyten 2010s Jackson Aces Gaz O'Brien and 2020s Brodie Croft and Mark Sneed yeah yeah Name some other good ones there. So, yeah, it just shows you you forget people, don't you? And you do. You think, oh, you'll hear him say that. Oh, I want him now. So, yeah, yeah, he's got some good names there. Good names there, Andy. I yeah. saw Andy at the match on, on Sunday as well. He gave me a wave. Nice man. Yeah. Paul Farber. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, I mean, Paul Farber. I mean, Matt Lee, you just mentioned, Andy mentioned Matt Lee, and he's he's a really nice fellow, Matt Lee. What a legend of the of rugby league. And, and Salford, I mean, for a man from St. Helens, I think Salford are his first club, really, aren't they? Mm. He, he talks about us as his home, really, doesn't he, Salford? So, terrific stalwart for the club. Paul Farber as well. Great character, Paul Farber. I think he'd be a double act with Matt Lee if you ask him for stories and stuff like that. Sam Panapa, I think you ask players about Sam. Very, very talented player. Been at Wigan, won a lot of trophies and that. And I, think, I still think he had a lot of flair when he came to Salford, didn't he? Top player. Tough player yeah. as well. Also, we haven't mentioned Gary Broadbent. Rock solid at the back for us. Another, so He's a player that class as a cult hero at Salford. Yeah. Gary Broadbent. Really, really. I remember that sort of season. He was pretty... I remember when he signed, he scored a trick against, say, Ellen's at home, 97. He was terrific. And I think he was only a kid then. He was only like 21, something like that. And then... Throughout that time of late nineties, early two thousands, we were and Gary Broadbent <laughs> was at the back, and it was like the Alamo. Yeah, um, <laughs> he had the weirdest tackling te- technique going. Players would break through, and he'd just jump on them, wouldn't he? But he'd get them down. He'd just dive at them and get them down. Really brave, really brave man. And, and after he left Salford, I think he left after we got relegated. He went back to Whitehaven, didn't he? And had some really good years at Whitehaven as well. So, yeah, real cult hero, Gary Broadbent. And, and very, very tough player as well. Yeah, never dropped a bomb, ever. Ball went up, caught it. Doesn't matter the way there was like four, about eight men jump on him. He always came up with a ball. And that's I always match my current fullback on how well they catch the ball to him. 
I don't think Gary Brovitt was great defensively and a great tackler. I don't think he was probably great with the ball. He wasn't like a gibbo where he'd run past people. No. He never really beat a man. But he, he was more for his defensive. And like you said, he was safe as houses. Really was. And Ryan Briley's a bit like that now. He really is safe. He's probably a bit more attacking flair than Gary Broadbent. But no, Gary played. I think he played for England. I think he played in the sort of in the in the mid nineties, late nineties there. So yeah, another guy that's had a great career. Yeah. So we've we've gone through a lot of names there. If you're listening to this podcast and you want your opinion on it, put it on our Twitter. Tweet us at ditdsrd and give us your coaster contenders, and we'll see who, who comes out on the on the coaster at the end. Oh. Yeah, I think that we should get the, the listeners should have a go now at this, and which something we could talk about because I suppose next week's show will be a bit quiet because we won't have a game to review. Will we have the Catalan to preview? So we can have 10 minutes talking about them. So get your, your what sits in and just remind us of uh, players we've forgotten from the archives. I think yeah. it's, it's great that. Yeah, another great show. Obviously, no game to preview, Paul, but obviously I want to give opportunity and what I say thanks to our listeners who donated via the Kofi to allow us to produce this podcast and and get the programmes to to produce this this standard of podcast, which we used to do now. Yeah, that's right. And, and you've took you've took it on me as well to let me get to bed early, haven't you? So we've yeah. done a quick one this week so I can get my head down so everyone's a winner. But no, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and as you said before, don't forget the GoFundMe page for, for Jamaica. I think that's a, a big thing as well. So but yeah, I've enjoyed it. And the next week we'll be looking forward to Catalan, won't we, as well? So exciting times. Yeah. A big thanks to tunes this week's pop-up podcast. Abro Parking fans on Facebook, Devil the Detail SRD. Fans on Twitter at the ITD SRD. And your fans on SoundCloud, iTunes, Radio Contact, Spotify, and YouTube. See you soon, Reds. <laughs>